I got a message yesterday. The Lord was dealing with me and I heard him say, I want to, I want to take you. I've never preached this before. I've preached elements of all of this before, but never together as a message. But I heard the Lord in my heart yesterday afternoon say, I want to take you through a short journey with uh, Joshua. And I want you to see some ingredients. That's how he said it to me. Some ingredients. He didn't tell me how many, but when he, when he showed them all to me, I added them up and there were nine of them. And, uh, and he said, I want you to look at some ingredients to his success. And so, because they're the same as the ingredients for your success. And so, you know, he, he dropped that message in my heart. I mean, I've, I, I, there's many other Bible characters we could look at, primarily Jesus. But there's some, there's some elements about Joshua and his greatness uh, that I think would be a blessing and a help to us if we could understand it and study it together. And so if you would please uh, be so gracious as to turn with me in the Bible, and we're going to start with Numbers chapter 27. Can you look there with me? Numbers chapter 27, if you'd be so kind. Are you all well this morning? Are you happy to be alive? Are you happy to have a breath in your lungs, health in your body, money in your pocket? You better have money because we're taking an SAP offering later. So there better be money in your pocket. Praise God. <laughs> and there'll be money in your pocket after you give as well. Praise God. Numbers chapter 27. <laughs> Numbers chapter 27. That's the fourth book of the Bible. And uh, I want you to see something about Joshua and the first ingredient that we see in his life. Let's start in verse 15. Numbers 27, 15. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, uh, uh, then Moses spoke unto the Lord, excuse me, saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. This is Moses about to go up to Pisgah and he's about to Nebo and he's about to pass on. He saw the promised land, but he didn't get in because he rebelled and he hit the rock instead of speaking to it, which may go out before them and which may go out and go in before them and which may lead them out and which may bring them in and the congregation that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep that have no shepherd. What is Moses saying? I don't want your people to not have a local church. Back then they didn't have local churches. We have them today, but that's what he's saying. Your people need a shepherd. He's saying the same thing today. That's the plan of God today. And they need a shepherd to lead them. Moses was the shepherd. He knows he's going home. There has to be somebody to take his place. And the Lord said unto Moses, take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit. Now watch now and lay thine hand upon him and set him before Eliezer, the priest and before all the congregation and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thine honor. The Hebrew word is grandeur. In other words, put some of your anointing upon him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient and he shall stand before Eliezer the priest who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out and at his word shall they come in. Both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him and he took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. The first thing, and this is how the Lord showed it to me. He's never showed it to me like this before in like a little journey. But, it, but the first thing that really Joshua had that made him a success is he had an impartation by the laying on of hands. That's right, amen. Without that impartation of the lay, by the laying on of hands, he would not have been able to accomplish. And really Moses was his pastor in a New Testament 
you know, you know, the way we talk in the New Testament, Moses was his pastor because he said, uh, I, I, I am the shepherd of the sheep. I'm leaving. There needs to be a new shepherd of the sheep. So he was the pastor. And the pastor, the shepherd, laid hands upon that minister. That doesn't apply to ministers. It applies to anybody and everybody. Because remember, he also laid hands on 70 leaders and elders. And, 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 and different of the people as well. So there was an impartation that came primarily for leadership, but not only for leadership. And so the Lord, the Lord spoke to me and he said, one of the reasons Joshua was successful and one of the reasons, Craig, you are in the process of being successful, because I don't consider myself successful, but I'm on a journey of success. I'm not successful till I stand before Jesus and I've been raptured. And then I give an account for my life then he'll determine if I was successful or not. Because nobody knows exactly what he's asked me to do but me. And success is not based on how much money I get, the house I live in, or even how faithful I am. Success is based on did I fulfill the plan of God? Was I faithful to the plan of God? A lot of pastors are not successful, although they have big churches, because they didn't follow the plan of God. They just, they just gathered a group of people. We've got to fulfill the plan of God, whatever that is for you. That's why if God's telling you to start a business and you don't, you will give an account to him for being unfaithful to the plan of God. And I'm not going to be there to bail you out. This is a serious thing that Christians need to understand what God's plan is for you. You better pray and seek him. It's, not, it's always to minister to people, to love people, to pray for people, to witness to people. That's his plan for all of us. But not everybody is called to be a doctor. And not everybody is called to start their own business. And not everybody is called to do this or to do that. But whatever God's asked you to do, you better figure that out. The general for everybody is love people, witness to people, pray for people, get them saved, bring them to church. Everybody's got that, that assignment from God. And, and by the way, with all of us having that assignment of God, when's the last time you brought somebody to church? Is, is that part of the plan? Is it part of the plan to tell people about the goodness of God? Because they're hurting and they're looking. But, but I, I see months and months and months pass and I see these faithful Christians, but you're like. The plan of God is to get the glory center. The plan of God is to have revival. We can't do that with 350, 400 people. This church has to grow. The plan of God is for this church to grow. The plan of God is for Pastor Happy and his wife to take over this building and pay for it cash. And then when they're ready, it's too small for them to pay, sell it and move. But the plan of God, they're growing in their numbers because they can't do that until God honors them and they grow. And we can't move into that next building until God honors us and we grow. So the plan of God is for us to grow. The only way you're going to grow is to open your big trap and talk to people and tell them about the goodness of God and what he's done for you and how this message is changing your life. Because like that Anglican church, there's a whole lot of people that want it, but nobody's telling them. So once in a while, I'm not pressuring you. I'm just saying as a pastor, once in a while, I should look out and see some of my faithful members with a new face sitting beside you. And some of you, I haven't seen a new face sitting beside you in 10 years. You've never brought one person. You're not fulfilling the plan for your life. God's going to ask you to give an account for that. Did you have, not just did you show up, 
That's bottom line. Not just did you tithe, that's bottom line. Did you help the vision of this church to grow? That means did you witness? Did you invite? Did you bring? You're going to give an answer. I hope for your sake that you have a good answer to give. I'm serious. I'm very serious. My, I do witness to people, I do invite people, and sometimes people come. But my primary job, Pastor Nancy was talking to me about this this week, last week. My primary job is not to evangelize and grow this church as the minister. My primary job is to give myself to the word of God and to prayer according to Acts 6. So that when I stand up, I have the anointing, I have a message, I have something to feed the sheep. It's the sheep's job to reproduce more sheep. It's the sheep's job to go and tell another fluff ball out there, that's what they are, fluff balls, and say, you need God, and you need to come and listen to what I'm learning because it'll change your life so that when your child wakes up at three in the morning and is dying, you know how to deal with that instead of just calling 911. That you, when your mind is tormented and battered with demons, that you know how to get yourself free from that. There is power in the gospel and people want it. But if you don't tell them about it, they don't know. And this is part of the plan is for this church to grow, which means you to invite, which means you're going to give an account for that. Please, would you pay attention to what the spirit of God is saying through me? Okay, <clears throat> now the notice what one, one area that he, the ingredient to his success is that he had impartations by the laying on of hands. And the Lord said to me, one of the reasons that you're successful and the only, not just as a minister, but anybody, <clears throat> anybody that wants success, there has to be impartations by the laying on. And remember in, in, in Hebrews chapter six, one of the main, one of the basic ordinances, one of the basic doctrines of the New Testament is the laying on of hands. You can read it. There's about six of them listed there. Laying on of hands is one of them because it is part of the way God has assigned and orchestrated this thing to function that there are certain anointings in, in ministers' hands that God puts there, not the minister, and he will transmit those to individuals. Whether you feel something physically or not is irrelevant, that will come into you and it will help establish you. That's right. That's right. And Paul, Paul said, I long to see you that I may impart, we know that's by the word, but also by the laying on of hands, that you may be established, a gift to you that you may be established. So when there's an impartation, there's an establishment and there's gifts that come into you. And so in order to be successful, you got to be around the shepherd. You got to be around the local church. And at times when those, when those impartations are flowing, like Tuesday morning, we had an unusual prayer service. Uh, the Holy Ghost said, I don't want, really want you to pray this morning as much. Pray a little bit. I want you to impart to the people. He doesn't normally say that at a prayer meeting. But, but we lined all the people up and I just, I had words for some of them. The Holy Ghost gave words for some of them. Some was just an impartation by the laying on of hands, but that was a certain anointing for that. I don't choose when that anointing comes, but I can tell. I talked with Pastor Nancy this week and she was explaining to me the difference between the healing anointing and the impart, imparting anointing, yeah. which people don't really talk about very often because they don't know anything oh, about it, right. but she does. she does. And she told me, she said, the anointing, I can even feel it. It's different. I won't get into the details, but there's, there's a different, uh, she's aware of the tangibility of both anointings, but one anointing is different. That's the way God does it with her. And when it's for healing, and then there's a different kind of sensation that comes, there's a, there's a tangibility that comes when it's for imparting. And she knows the difference. She's learning skillfully the difference. I said, Lord, teach me the difference. 
Because I, I, sometimes I feel the anointing, I think it's healing, but it's not, it's to impart. Well, this Tuesday, I thought it was at first for healing, and then I said, no, this is an imparting anointing. So I, now I'm paying attention to connect dots. Okay, now I sense when that anointing is there, I know what that's for. Yes. Imparting is very important for people. Oral Roberts said over and over again, the people of God long for the hands of their man of God to be placed upon them. Now, not every person longs for that, but a spiritual person longs for the hands of their man of God, who God has divinely connected them to, who there's, a, there's an association from heaven with that person. They long for that person. I long for Pastor Nancy to lay hands on me because I want something from that flow in that office because she God assigned her to me. Just like a child longs for a parent to hug them. My Lukey loves, he, he wants the touch. See, a child, it wants the touch. Well, that's a natural thing, but in the spirit, there's a similarity there where, where children of God long for that touch and that impartation from that spiritual parent. And, and he got that. He got that, praise God. And that's one of the reasons he was so successful because he got that impartation. Now have a look at Deuteronomy 34 and verse seven. Deuteronomy chapter 34. You're okay this morning, you're with me? And verse seven. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. Watch this now. Ooh, Jesus help us. His eye was not dim. Nor his natural force abated. He still had a sex drive. He could still run. He could do push-ups. He didn't need glasses. He didn't need hearing aids. He didn't need Viagra. Not that they had it, but anyway, he didn't need it. That's what that means. If you study in the Hebrew, it means every natural function of the body was operating at optimal levels. Every natural function of the body. That means his blood sugar was right. He didn't have no glaucoma. Oh God, my glaucoma. No, it ain't your glaucoma. It's the devil's glaucoma. Give it back to him. Gift wrap it and send it back to hell. FedEx Express. It ain't your glycoma, praise God. He was not weakened, his eyes and his natural bodily functions had not weakened at 120 years old. That shows me when you're in the plan of God, when you're in the plan of God, the power of God, the New Testament says, will keep us. We are kept by the power of God. Hallelujah. Take the vitamins. I do. Take the minerals. I do. But that's not what my faith is in. My faith. I do the natural and the spiritual. You need to do both. Do the natural and the spiritual. But the plan of God is spiritual and that will keep you strong. Hallelujah. And the children of Israel went, wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the weep, days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Watch that. For Moses had laid his hands upon him and the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now notice that the children of Israel listened to Joshua and did what God told Moses. Not what God told Joshua. Why? Because Joshua didn't come up with his own plan. The next generation didn't come up with their own vision. The pastor's son didn't change and become a relevant, secret-sensitive church. He kept Moses' instruction, and the people followed what God told Moses, although Joshua was implementing Moses' vision. This is the problem. All these young whippersnapper pastors, which I'm age-wise one of them, are trying to come up with their own newfangled doctrine instead of following what Dad Hagen taught us. 
and what the generals taught us. We got to stay with what the markers the Father has set. We are doing that vision. We're not doing my vision. We're doing that vision. Praise God. Are you with me? And there arose not a prophet since in Israel, like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all the land and in all that mighty hand and in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. What a man of God. What a man of God. But watch now, Moses laid his hands. Now this, 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 this tells us something different that the other, that, that, than uh, the numbers didn't tell us. Deuteronomy tells us another little hint. It said that he had the spirit of wisdom because he laid his hands on him. Praise God. There was an impartation to know things by the laying on of hands. And I'm telling you, uh, the Lord said to me, I'm, I'm goose trailing here, but the Lord, the Lord said something to me a little while ago, Reverend Greg. And, and I want the, everybody to listen, but it applies specifically to the ministers. And he said, you, some of the ministers under you aren't getting it. I said, what do you mean, Lord? I mean, I'm teaching everything I know to teach. And he said, they're not getting it because they think just by watching or by just, you know, being, being present that they're going to get what they need for their ministry. He said, it's not just about watching and that, that light, shallow attitude. He said, it's about being around your anointing and your office to get impartation. And if you're not physically around it as often as you can, I'm around that in California and other places as often as I can. But if you're not around it, that impartation won't go into you. It doesn't just come by the laying on of hands. It comes by the preached word. It doesn't just come from the preached word. It comes from private conversations. And if you're not around, if those ministers aren't around that, they're not going to get what they need. And then they're going to go and they're going to try and they're going to see that it doesn't work the way it should have or the way they thought it would have because they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't pay attention in their season of preparation to be around that anointing as much as they should have been. And if they'll understand that, then they'll get those impartations that they need. Then when they go do their own thing, it will work. Well, that applies to your, your businesses. That doesn't just apply to ministers with churches. What about your company? What about what you're putting your hand to do? The more you're around impartation, the more wisdom will come into you. Are you listening to me? The more you'll know things that you didn't know before. Then when you're at work and there's a problem, you can say, I'm telling you, you can call upon God. You can say, Father, I have been faithful to my church and my pastor has laid hands on me and I'm there. Whether he lays hands or just preaches, I'm there and I'm getting impartations even when I don't even know I'm getting them. The spirit of wisdom is on me. I need to know how to fix this for my boss. I need to know how to do this. I need to know how to solve this. Lord, they don't know, but I know the spirit of wisdom is on me. And then let God start to show you and lead you and guide you. Let that boss come to you and say, what is it about you? I don't understand. You don't even have the education, but you just seem to know things. Yeah. That's the spirit of wisdom because of impartations from an office, which comes from God. Amen. Are you with me? I'm telling you, if you not everybody will lay hold on that. But if you lay hold on that, it will work for you. If you put a demand on that, it will work for you. Praise God. I've had people tell me for years, you're a man beyond your years, Pastor Craig. How come you know these things? And I really can't take credit. I know these things because I'm around an impartation all the time. And that comes into me whether I realize it or not. And I seem to know things without knowing things. 
and problems come up and I don't know how, but I just know what to do. Part of that is my time with Jesus alone, a lot of that, but part of that is the laying on of hands by impartation because the spirit of wisdom will come into you. Are you with me? All right, so that's number one is that you need those importations from your man of God. By the way, I'm yours. I'm your man of God. This morning when I was praying, he's never said that to me in my life before. This morning when I was praying early in the morning, the Lord said to me, tell the people that you're theirs. You're not an orphan. You're not alone. You've got a church family, even if your natural family are a bunch of fruitcakes. And I hope they're not, but a lot of people, their families are just whatever. You've got a church family that's closer to you than blood. You've got a pastor that's like a parent to you spiritually. You are not alone. I am your preacher and I'm your man of God. And you're not alone. So don't ever say you're alone. Don't ever feel you're alone because you're not. There's a place for you at the table. There's a place setting with your name engraved in gold at the promise of life table. Show up and take your place. Praise God. You're not alone. Number two, Joshua chapter one, verse eight. I'll go a little faster now. Took a little bit extra time on that one. But Joshua chapter one, verse eight. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do. That means you've got to speak it, which means you've got to look at it and hear it. But you've got to speak it, you've got to meditate in your thought life on it, and you've got to obey it. And then you shall make your way. Everyone wants prosperity, but it doesn't just come by the seminars. With Tony Robbins, it comes by the word. Then you'll make your way prosperous. There's a promise. You can hold God to this. He didn't just write this for fluff. He wrote this for you to stand on it. You'll be prosperous and you'll have good success if you meditate on the word, read the word, and obey the word. That includes seeing it and hearing it. Praise God. Number two made him success is he not didn't just study, he consumed the word. And not just the word, but he needed revelation into the word. And listen, all poor Joshua had was the five books that Moses had written by, on the mountaintop. He didn't have First and Second Kings. David hadn't been born yet. He didn't know anything about the miracles of Elijah and Elisha. He didn't know about Jesus. He never knew about what Paul's revelation was, about who we are in God. He, all he had was the law. But the law, which a lot of people feel is kind of dry, because if you actually read the first five books, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. There's a lot of, lot of exciting stories in there, but there's also Leviticus. There's also a lot of rules, a lot of, you know, don't kill the goat, this thing, and don't do that thing. And if this person does this, kill him. And if that person doesn't, kill them. And if your kids do this, kill the kids. I mean, there's a, no, honestly, it's a dispensation of judgment. I mean, if your kids were rebellious and they wouldn't listen to you, 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 you had to kill your own kids. Stone them. We wouldn't have a youth group if we lived in the Old Testament. They'd all be dead. Kill them all. <laughs> that was the solution. Just kill them all. <laughs> the only re- really rebellious ones, right? Ones that were the sons of Belial. But, but I mean, if you read it, there's a lot of like rules, right? But then also there's a lot of stories and there's a lot of nuggets in those stories about how God dealt with the patriarchs. That's all he had. And he was meditating on those stories about about Abraham, about Isaac, about Joseph. He was meditating on Genesis. He was meditating on, yes, the laws of what God had given, but he was meditating on the patriarchs. He was meditating on the first five books. Those are the only things he had. 
the first five books. And you, you know, you have 66 books. He had five books and five of which half of them are kind of like, just don't do this, don't do this and kill everybody. I mean, it's just, it's laws. Half of it is not even that exciting. All he had was that. And that was enough to take an entire nation. That was enough to build the faith in him to believe God for conquest. And Randy Greer always says he would never be able to do the conquest if he didn't have great faith in God to do the conquest. That's why God said, get in my word all the time because my word will produce faith and you need to trust me if you're going to fulfill the plan of God for your life. Why do I need to be in the word all the time? And I've got 66 books to choose from, not five. It's because I need faith. That's why I'm in it. I need my mind renewed. I need to think like God thinks about how to treat my wife, about how to treat my church, about how to treat my body, about how to live my life. I need to think right. I need to have faith in my heart and trust God. And the only way I'm going to think right and the only way I'm going to trust him for the conquest that lies ahead is if I'm in that book day and night. Faith only comes, Romans 10, 17, by hearing and hearing the revealed word of God. You've got to be in the word, not just reading it, but God speaking to you from it. It being opened and revealed and poured into you. Then faith will come. If you don't have faith, you won't fulfill the plan. How are you supposed to start your own business without faith? How are you supposed to believe to be increased in your company and with your boss and with favor without faith? How are you supposed to witness to people like I just ragged on you a few minutes ago about inviting people? How are you supposed to do that without faith? It takes faith to evangelize. It takes trust in God and a, heart and a sealed heart from rejection. Lord, I trust you and I'm doing this because you're leading me and prompting me to do this. I'm going to open my mouth and be bold. My wife in the thing with, you know, she was there. California was her brother was with her and they were in the Starbucks getting a coffee one afternoon I was in the hotel working and 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 she was getting a coffee and this 94 year old man come up to her and go I I don't understand my phone and I'm trying to do this and I can't you know would you help me Jenny said I'll be honest with you she said I'm in we I'm enjoying my conversation with my brother I don't really want to talk to the 94-year-old man and talk about his phone. I probably won't even understand what he's talking about. And you know, old people, they're not in a rush. And they take a long time to do everything. And she thought, this guy's going to keep me here. So she saw, and then he starts talking to her and she's like, oh God. Because he starts talking about his past. He starts talking about his wife, who was 89 or something like that. And, and she's at home. She's in the beauty salon. He's waiting for her in the beauty salon. They'd been married how many years? 70 years? 72 years married. He's waiting on his wife in the beauty salon. He can't figure out his phone. He picks Jenny out of the crowd. I guess she looks sweet and everything. You know, she ain't sweet, but she looks sweet. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. You're very sweet, honey. She's one of the nicest person I've ever met. She says hi to everybody. I never say hi to anybody. In the, in the elevator. How are you doing? I'm like, oh, God. Don't engage them, Jenny. They're going to ask you questions. Because I'm just very introverted person publicly she's not she's she's very friendly i love that about her thank god i've got somebody like that because i'm not like that but in that case she didn't want to be outgoing she wanted to focus 
And the guy's it's just talking about it. And he's like, oh, God, here we go. And he's talking. But then the Holy Ghost starts saying something to her. His time is coming. His time is coming. Talk to him. Talk to him. And so thank God she listened. And she took him through the scriptures, just short. Told him about how much Jesus loves him. Have you ever heard that, sir? He said, I've never heard that. My dad's Jewish. I'm nothing. I've never heard that Jesus loves me. She took him to the scriptures. She said, would you like to pray with me right now? And he says, and she said, I could tell he's the kind of guy, like no nonsense kind of, when he says it, he means it. Kind of like my word is my bond. The old school have that a lot. We should all have that more. And he said, no young lady, he said, but I've listened to what you've said. He said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray that prayer tonight before I go to sleep and invite Jesus into my heart. Never heard. Living in Southern California. Never heard, not one time, that Jesus loves them. How's that possible? Not offended at all that she witnessed to him. Grateful that somebody told him. I believe we'll see that man in heaven with his wife because somebody was led by the Spirit. Despite the inconvenience, despite I'm not in the mood, their eternal soul is far more important than your mood or inconvenience. But you notice how the Holy Ghost led her. She didn't, you, know, you, you can just go out there and just shoot the shotgun and just spray and just do what, you can do that and that's great. But, but when the Holy Ghost is leading you, you better make sure you listen to him. How are you going to have faith to evangelize? If you don't be in the word, it takes faith to do that. It takes a trust in the anointing and to have the right words. It takes courage to do that. So I'm telling you, you need the word. Without the word, you cannot overcome. You won't be able to fulfill the plan of God without faith. You need the word to fulfill, to have faith. You need faith to fulfill the plan of God and to have victory. So you got to have the word always going in, always going in, so that your faith tank is always topped up. Because you need that to fulfill what God's asked you to do in whatever capacity. that It takes faith to give in there, especially on your projects today. I had an amount that I was going to give, and the Lord said to me, double it. I said, but Lord, I have other things to buy. He said, you double that. Don't argue with me. So I doubled. You see, I'm telling people, be led by the Spirit. I've got to be led by the Spirit too. But it takes faith to do that. It takes faith to sow when I've got other bills to pay. It takes faith to sow. It, anything that you're going to do in the plan is going to take faith. That's why you need to be in the Word because that's the only way you get faith is in the Word. Are you with me? So that's an ingredient to his success is that he had the Word. Number, the next one is in Joshua 1 verse 9. Have not I, now these are the five things that God had given me back in 2019, but I'm, I'm, they're part of the nine ingredients. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou made for the Lord. Thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. What is that? Have not I commanded thee? The third ingredient in Joshua's success and in your success is you've got to know the authorship is God. If you know God has asked you to come to this church, you will stay through even if people offend you. If you know God has asked you to start that business, you will push through and believe and trust that it will work. If you know God has asked you to witness that person, you will do it despite their attack or, or, or whatever happens. You'll do it. Part of the ingredient, Jenny, is that he, Joshua didn't wonder, am I just doing this like on my own thing here? God said to him, 
have not I asked you to do this? I'm in it. If I'm in it, you're going to win. You've got to know the authorship that God has authored things in your life. Because if you know he's authored it, he will also finish it. Because he says, I'm the author and the finisher of your faith. I'm the first and the last. I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. If he's authored something, he will finish it. If he wrote the first chapter, he's going to write the last page of your life that says the end. Which technically never happens because in heaven you're going to be in eternity and your book will go on forever. But you know what I'm saying? You've got to know the authorship. If you don't know the authorship, you're going to struggle. Stay with me now. I know I can hear stomachs rumbling. I can hear some of you calling for the Swiss chalet anointing. I can feel it. But just stay with me for 15 more minutes. Can you do that? All right. Number four is you've got to know your place and your fit. Have a look now in verse 6. Joshua 1, 6. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Another translation says, be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people I have chosen you to divide up the land. What is God telling him? I have chosen you. If you don't know that God has asked you to do it, you've got to know that he authored it, but the emphasis is on him. But you've got to know that where you fit, the emphasis is on you. I know that God asked me to do this. That helps me stand in the day of trouble. But I also know that he didn't just ask me to do, it comes from him, but I have a revelation that he asked me. He didn't ask somebody else, he asked me. Now he's asked all of us in one capacity, but in terms of my private life, he's asked me. I know my place, I know my fit. I know my lane. I know where I'm supposed to run. What an awful life, Greg, for people to not know. They're just running like crazy, like just here and here and here. And they're this church and they're that church and they're this job and they're this wife and then that wife and then this husband and this thing and this thing. And it's just chaotic. God has a lane. He has a path for you to walk. It is his perfect will. He asked you and only you to be on that particular path. When you see those runners in the 100 meter relay, there's seven or six or nine lanes, whatever it is. But do you notice they're not going into each other's lanes. If they do, they disqualify. They all have their own path and they have to run their race. You have a path, Guggen. It's not my path. We're connected because we're in the same race. But you might be in lane four and I might be in lane six, but I'm not allowed to touch your lane and you're not allowed to touch mine. You are responsible to do what God asked you to do. <laughs> You've got to have impartations. You've got to. You've got to have the word because without it, you won't have faith. Without faith, you can't do the plan. You've got to know that God asked you. If you don't know that, you'll have, you, you, the whole thing is shifting sand. You've got to know he asked you. You've got to know he said, by my stripes, you're healed. So when you wake up and that sickness is there, you say, God authored this. You've got to know that he's asked you. So that when you, I don't need to call pastor at three in the morning. I've got authority. He gave it to me. I command this go in Jesus name. He asked me to do this job. He asked me to go to this, uh, to marry this person. He asked me to have this business. 
He asked me to do my part. I'm in my own lane. You've got to know that he authored it. He's the coach. He put you on the team. You have have a right to be there. But you've got to know that he's asked you specifically. You're important to God. I don't care what the color of your skin is and neither does God. I don't care how old or young you are and neither does God. I don't care how rich or poor you are, what kind of a past you had, if you did bad things, that's under the blood. What God cares about is your future. Paul, the murderer of Christians, said, forget the past, buddy, and press forward to the plan that I've got for you. Then he said at one point, all my education, he sat at the feet of whatever that guy's name was, Gamaliel and all these. He was a genius. All of that, he realized, it doesn't really matter. He said, I count it all as dung. My past sins are dung. My education and my PhDs compared to the plan, compared to the revelation that I got when I went to heaven, the third heaven, it's all dung. I, I, I don't, I'm not trusting the mental arena. No, I'm, I'm called. I'm called because he authored it to do something and I'm going to do it. And that's the only thing that matters. And I will press toward it. You've got to know that God asked you and you've got to know that God asked you. And this came out of, I was so discouraged because somebody had stabbed me in the back badly in the church. I mean, hurt me deeply. I've grown a a thick alligator skin. But back then I didn't have that alligator skin. It hurt me. And I went and I lay on the bed and I was crying and I said, Lord, I don't know about this stuff that you're asking me to do. I just, these people, I love them, but some of them, they're so hurtful to Jenny and I. They say such awful things and it's not even true what they're saying. We didn't even do what they accused us of. And I remember I laid down on the bed. The lights were off. It was a Friday night about 5 p.m. We had an Ironman event that night, which I wasn't going to go to because I was so discouraged. Jesus walked in the room. I didn't see him, but I felt a presence come in and his glory came in. And I turned. I know exactly where we're sitting, but I couldn't see him. But I mean, his glory filled that, filled that room. And he said, sit up. Sit up when I talk to you. I sat up on that bed and he spoke to me. He said to me five things of which I'm telling you. And he said, he said, did I, he, the first, I didn't put it in the order that he said it to me, but the first thing he said to me is, have not I asked you to do this? I said, yes. He said, have not I asked you to do this? And he gave me these two scriptures. And I said, yes. He said, then forget about the comings and goings of the unfaithful. Some are going to come. And some are going to go, forget about it. If I asked you, you're going to win. The church will succeed. Toughen up. Not everybody's going to like you. Toughen up. Get in my word. Because without it, you won't have faith. And you need faith, boy, for what's coming. And I didn't even know back then what was coming with the glory center and all this stuff. Praise God. And then the next thing, which is on my list here, no, the next thing is Joshua 1.7. The next thing he said to me is this, only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it, what? From what Moses told you, to the right hand or to the left hand, that you may prosper wherever you go. What was he saying? What your father taught you, the message. Stay close. Now, if his father had been alive, he would have told him to stay close to the father and the message. 
But his father's dead. So he can only say, stay close to the message. But this point, and he said to me, he said, I, I have asked you, get in my word, because without faith you can't do this. And then he said, stay close to Pastor Nancy. Why? What is he saying? Stay close to the message that she brought from Dad Hagen. And stay close to her for the impartations, but also because of the message. And so I'm telling you, you want success. Are you listening? You don't just have the motive for impartations, although you need them. But you just need to stay close because of the message. There's a lot of other messages that are flag puffs and nothing. They're useless. The Reader's Digest. They don't contain power in them. This message has power in it to change lives. You've got to stay close to your father's message. And at the same time, stay close to your father. But it's the message. He said, the, what he taught you, do not turn to the left or to the right. Amen. All you need to know is who did God hook you up with? Amen. That's all you need to know. Yeah. One way you know that is when you come into this church, if it feels like home, yeah. it means God planted you here as a tree. Amen. That means I'm your father, your, your, your spiritual father, your, your pastor, your man of God, your preacher. You're a preacher. You're not alone. Now that message, take it. Don't, don't go on the internet to ask yeah. Google what do you think about this? Because I've learned that Google's not saved. I thought she was saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. But she ain't. And they will bring up a whole lot of articles and a whole lot of videos and a whole lot of YouTube channels against what we preach. Why would you fill your mind with that trash when your spirit bears witness that this is true? Don't go and engage your mental with videos about other idiots who don't think it's true because they're stupid. They're stupid. They're fools. The Bible calls them ignorant. Ignorant men. We have something that's true and your spirit knows it. I don't have to try to convince you mentally. Your spirit knows it. Your spirit knows it. That's why you say amen. Because something inside of you goes, yeah. The Holy Ghost is bearing witness as I'm preaching that this is right. Praise God. Don't ever violate that inward witness, but he will always bear witness to the truth of the word. So you need impartations. You need the word. You need to know that God authored you to do whatever it is that you're doing. You need to know that God authored you to do it, not somebody else. You don't shirk responsibility. Praise God. You need to stay close. With your man, the message that came from your man of God, you need to stay close with that. Don't turn to the left or the right. Don't, don't follow after another flow. Stay in the pasture that God put you in. Well, the grass is greener. Goats, this is true, this is on to make believe. Goats are creatures that do not like to be confined. And a goat will stick its head through the fence. I was driving in California. They had a goat farm. And I thought, my God, Pastor Nancy just preached about this. And, and I'm looking at it with my own eyes. I pulled the car over, got out, and took a video of the goat. That goat, the sheep were there too. They were just eating. That goat's so restless. And he, and he thinks it's better. And he had his head neck stretched through the wire into the, the grass was exactly the same on this side of the fence as his side of the fence. But he doesn't like confinement. So he doesn't want rules. So he's stretching to get the greener grass. And that's what many Christians are like. You don't want the rules. 
You always want something new and exciting and newfangled. And I'm sure this church has really got it happening. And this YouTube video is really going to enlighten me. Stop stretching through the fence and just get the message that we're giving and enjoy it. And listen, when, listen, if you've worked through the message in its entirety, you have my blessing to go somewhere else. But I haven't even been able to finish all that Hagen's books yet, let alone live every message to its fullness. So you can't do that in even one lifetime. There's just too much in this spiritual journey. So you've got more than enough to hold you in this, in this vineyard. Stay close. One of his reasons he succeeded is he didn't change the message of his father. He stayed with the message. So stay with the message. Praise God. Another reason he was successful, number six, is Joshua chapter 1, 5. This is a verse God gave. Everybody can claim it, but God spoke this to me. Like he spoke it to Dr. Sumrall. He gave him one in Psalms. He gave this one to me. And I, I mean, I hold on to this. This is amazing. There shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not fail thee. I will not forsake thee. Fail means when you're holding the rope and it's taunt and you lessen your grip and it becomes slack. That's what fail means in the Hebrew. Forsake means you let go of the rope entirely and you back away. He's saying, not only am I never going to let you go, but I'm never going to lessen my tautness. I'm going to hold you tight. Whatever you believe me for, I'm going to give it to you. It's amazing. Now he gave some role, a verse that says, uh, those that stand against you will die. <laughs> and I really like that verse. I said, Lord, why don't you give me that verse? Because Dr. Sumro, he stood on that verse in other countries. And when people stood against him, uh, literally God's hand of judgment would fall on them, even in the New Testament. And a number of people dropped dead. Not that that's what we're after, but I'm just saying, I like that verse. I want that verse. For what I'm called to do, I need that verse. But the God gave me this verse. And I thought this verse was kind of like substandard compared to that verse. Because that verse very clearly says, I'll kill him. This verse just says, no man will be able to stand against you. But he didn't say they're going to kill him. And I want the killing part of it. I said, Lord, I need it. Because some people just need to die. They just do. They just do. No, I'm kidding. They don't. They need to get saved and then die. No, no, they don't need to die. They just need to get saved. But I said to the Lord, that's not as cool of a verse as you gave to Samuel. But Lord, I'll take it. It's mine. You spoke it to me in that room in September. Uh, and I'll take it. And then the Lord, years later, in 2021, he spoke to me and he said, do you really know what that means? I said, yeah, you said nobody will be able to stop me, but you didn't say you're going to kill him. He said, do you really know what that means? He said, go back and look at every person that withstood Moses and see what happened to them. And I went back at, at Yanis and Yambres, the witchcraft guys. The Bible says they died. Moses and his army, they died. The political arena, they died. Every person that stood against them, judgment fell on them. And the Lord said, just because it's not phrased the way the other verse is, it's the same verse, son. Anybody that withstands you, I'll personally take care of them. Now, in the dispensation of mercy, he's trying to get people to heaven. He's not trying to kill them. But what he's saying is the call is so important. I'm not going to let some 
devil-possessed sinner stop you from doing my plan. And if I have to remove them, I'll remove them. But you are going to get through this and you are going to be successful no matter what happens because no man will be able to stand against you. Now listen, one of the reasons he was successful, listen, is because he knew he couldn't be stopped. One of the reasons you're going to be successful is because you know because I've got impartations, because I've got the word, because God told me to do this, because God told me to do this, because I'm staying with the message and my father, I cannot be stopped. You must believe that or you will always falter in the face of adversity. When they come against you, you'll, when the bad news comes about this or about that, you'll, it'll, it'll hit you. But when you know I cannot be stopped, there will be a boldness that comes into you and you'll just keep moving forward. That's one of the reasons he was successful is he didn't stop because he knew that God said nothing can stop you. I'm telling you, these are ingredients for our success. If you're in God's will, Tyrone, nothing can stop you. I don't care what economy. I don't care what recession. It doesn't matter what happens to your business. God will give you a brand new business. You, you, the life preserver will bring you to the top of the surface of the water every time. Like the law of gravity, it always works. There is a law in the spirit. You will always prosper. Nothing can stop you if you'll believe it. Are you still with me? Almost done. Number seven, Joshua five thirteen. This is things that Joshua had that made him successful. Joshua chapter five, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, they lifted up his eyes and looked. Oh, my God. This is the verse, the day the mantle came. Or we at least immediately rephrase, the day we were marked for the mantle. It came December 12th, 2020. But on June the 28th, 2010, when the seats were facing this way, at about 1230 in the, no, about 1130. What time did we start the service? 10 o'clock? It was right after worship. It was probably about 1030. His eyes were opened. The roof disappeared. And Dr. Dufresne saw the mantle. That didn't come on us. It was hovering because it was a sign to come after that fast. But he said, I see that mantle. And when I went home that afternoon praying, very overwhelmed, the Lord gave me the scripture. And he said, this mantle, this anointing is the same thing that I gave Joshua when I came to him and told him that you're going to over, you're going to take the entire land. And that sword of Joshua represented the anointing. That sword of Jesus that he held represented the anointing. It was an anointing for war. And the Lord said, that is the same anointing that I've given you to take. I didn't know at that point that we were going to have international works, but he said to take different places. Now I know more. But he said, it's not because you're so great and others are not great. He said, it's because you decided to agree with me. He said, I'm not for you and against your enemies. I'm not for you and against this other pastor. I, I'm not, that's not how I think. I love all of my pastors. But you said yes when that pastor said no. So I've chosen you not because you're better. In fact, that pastor's got a double PhD. You don't have nothing. I'm not doing it because you're better. I'm doing it because you said yes. And he said no, but you said yes. That's the only reason he picked us. It's not because we're so great. It's because we just agreed. He's not for us and against somebody else. He's for his plan. Whoever agrees with the plan gets the anointing. We just simply said, you sure you want to use us? Like Catherine Coleman, if you can use nothing, Lord, here's nothing. Use me. And look what God did through her. Are you sure you can use us? You really want us? Why? But you really want us? 
Okay, I agree. And he puts that anointing. So you can't take credit because it was the anointing that did it. It was the supernatural ability of God to do it. The anointing is the supernatural ability of God to do what he's asked you to do. You need that anointing. You can't do it on your own ability and your own strength. He's just looking for people that will agree. And behold, there stood a man opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, are you for us or for our enemies? And he said, no, I'm not for either. But as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? I'm for God's army. I'm for God's plan. And Joshua fell on his face of the earth and did worship and said unto him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host, which we know in chapter six is Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus showed up, said unto Joshua, loose thy shoe from off thy foot. For the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. This is in the plain of Jordan facing Jericho. Where did Elisha get the mantle? In the plain of Jordan facing Jericho. Where did Joshua get that anointing to do conquest? That anointing of war. In the plain of Jordan facing Jericho. It's amazing it was in the same place. What was God telling him? I am giving you a special anointing to do this assignment. What is the mantle? It's an anointing on an assignment. And on that fast, I know it's 12.06, but just bear with me. I'm almost done. On that fast, I've got to, I, every week I take you to 12.15. Why do I even say we're done at 12? You just know, Swiss Chalet, change your reservations. But he said to me, the power, the mantle was the power of the spirit of Jesus. Remember, Jesus came out of the wilderness in the power of the spirit. He got that mantle in that wilderness to do an assignment. He said to me, the mantle was the crown of David. When he was anointed and sat down in some things, that anointing helped him rule. The, the mantle was the mantle of Elisha because he actually got something called a mantle, but it was an anointing to be a prophet. The mantle was the sword of Joshua. It was an anointing for war that came from Jesus to conquest. The mantle was the blessing of Jacob because after Jacob wrestled, he knelt down and Jesus laid hands on him, the Bible says, and imparted the blessing to him. And from that moment, he started just prospering beyond his wildest dreams. The mantle, the anointing on an assignment for Jacob's life was called the blessing. See, the mantle is called different things with different people. But it's all that same anointing to do different functions. It was the power of the spirit for Jesus to preach. It was the crown of David to rule. It was the mantle of Elisha to be a prophet. It was the sword of Joshua for conquest. It was the blessing of Jacob for increase. It was the run of Elijah. When he came down from that thing, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord fell on him and he overtook the horses and the chariots. That mantle came on him for an assignment to run ahead and take care of Jezebel. And it was the staff of Moses. Moses on holy ground. What was Joshua? Holy ground. What happened with Moses when he was on his holy ground? God said, here's an anointing. Go do a job. And he handed him a staff. And he said, this is what you're going to stretch out. That staff represented the mantle. Jesus said, Joshua, holy ground. I'm giving you an anointing for conquest. Here's a sword. The Bible doesn't say he gave him the sword, but it says he was holding the sword. So we know it was an anointing for war. Amen. Listen, my brother and sister, you want success? You've got to have the anointing. Yes. Whatever God's robbed for your business, there's an anointing for M7. There's an anointing for your caricature business. There's an anointing for your legal business. There's an anointing for your sales business. 
Without the anointing, you cannot prosper. I'm trying to give you keys of why Joshua succeeded. You've got to have the anointing. We can call it a manto because that's a larger anointing for a specific task. But in general terms, we just call it the anointing. Without the anointing, you can't just have the word. See, he had the word. That's, that's, he was studying the whole word, but he has to have the anointing. Without the anointing, things don't work right for you. The anointing is God's supernatural ability on you to do what he's asked you to do. And you need it, my brother and sister. In whatever form your work is, you need that anointing in that office. Because I promise you, most of your, your co-workers are not saved. You know what that means? They don't have the anointing. You can be sometimes the only one in there with the anointing. But people will recognize something different about you. You, you have an efficiency. You have a wisdom. You have a knowledge. You have a love. That's all part of that anointing. You need that anointing. Number eight. Almost done. Go over the next chapter. He, told, he showed me this yesterday afternoon. In about five minutes, he just showed me. Bang, 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 bang. And he said, if you teach the people that, they'll succeed like Joshua succeeded. When, you get, when you're looking at the list, ask yourself, am I doing this? Because if you're doing it, you're going to succeed. If you're not doing it, make the adjustment. Specifically, he said to me, he said, he didn't just need the word. That's general. You need the word on every subject. He said he needed the word of faith. Without the word of faith, you can't succeed. Have a look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. This is right after this experience with Jesus and the sword. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out. None came in. Now watch now. And the Lord. That's how we know that the angel was the pre-incarnate Christ because it says the Lord. That means Jehovah. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Now in the English, mighty men of valor doesn't really mean the same. But in the Hebrew, it's the word Gabor, which means giants. And, th- and historians tell us that in Jericho, there were not all of them, but there were some that were like Goliath. They were giant men from that angelic race. Remember when Hebron, five years later, Caleb at 85, give me the mountain. That mountain stronghold in Hebron were filled with giants. They were giants in Jericho as well because mighty men of valor means giants or Gabor is the Hebrew word for them. It doesn't just mean good warriors. It means men of renowned status when the angels came down to have sex with women to block the seed line of Christ, both before the flood and after the flood, they produced a race of giants, part angelic seed and part human seed. These, uh, these giants were in the land at the time of the conquest, and they lived, some of them lived in Jericho. And what Jesus was saying is, I've given you the city and the king and the giants. That's amazing. But now I want you to notice, how do we know this is the word of faith? He didn't say, I will give you. He said, I have given you the city. Joshua is thinking, you got your pronouns mixed up, Jesus. You haven't given me nothing. I'm standing here. They're over there. They're on the walls. Nothing's happening. And that we've got to go fight and we're probably going to die. There are giants in there. What do you mean? You mean you will give me? We haven't done it yet. Future tense, Lord. You will give me. But Jesus said, I have given you. Why? Because faith calleth things that be not, Romans chapter 4, as though they are ready 
were. Faith says you don't have the victory, but I'm saying you've got it before you see it because faith calls things that haven't yet manifested physically and you see them spiritually and you talk about them like they're real even though they haven't happened yet. I have my new car. Where is it? I got it in the realm of the spirit by faith. And then it shows up in the natural realm because God will always manifest what you believe him for. And the Lord said to me, you see this son? I said, yeah. He said, you see how I talk faith? I said, I've given you the city already, boy. What I'm saying is I'm calling things that be not as though they were. I'm telling you, I've already given this thing to you. You're going in tomorrow or seven days later with this fight. But I'm telling you, it's already done. Faith says it's already done. When you are not feeling well, faith says I'm healed. When you don't have a job, faith says I'm employed. It hasn't manifested yet, but your faith will pull it into reality. I love it. He said he didn't just need the word. He needed the word of faith to succeed. And the last thing, number nine, and this maybe is my favorite. I don't know. But he needed the leading of the spirit. Look at verse three. And you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, go around about the city once. Thus shall you do six days, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day you shall encompass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall flat, and the people shall ascend everyone, or go forward everyone, straight before them. In other words, no rubble. Why? Because the ground opened and the walls went in like an elevator. They didn't have to climb over rubble. He's saying they're just going to walk straight ahead like there's nothing there. Listen, Jesus told, this wasn't a big shock. Jesus told Joshua exactly what was going to happen. He didn't have to come up with the plan. Now listen to me. If Jesus appears to you in person and tells you the plan, gives you the specific strategy, great. But most times he's not revealing himself to you in person. That's why in the New Testament, we've got the Holy Ghost. So Jesus's specific instruction to Joshua represents in the New Testament for us, the leading of the spirit for us. Now, if he shows up to you in person, then take that as primary. But because he doesn't do that very often with us, he gives us the Holy Ghost to guide us. But let me tell you something. This, he gave Joshua exact strategy. Joshua knew exactly what to do the first day. The first six days, he knew what to do the seventh day. He knew how to shout. He knew to tell the people. He knew that the ground was going to open up because God told him there'd be no rubble. He knew the wall was going to, this wasn't a shock to him. He wasn't thinking, well, I don't know how God's going to do this, but God's going to have to do something. He knew the ground's going to open up. The walls are going to fall down like an elevator shaft. And there's not going to be anything in front of us. The walls are there and then the walls are gone. And we're just going to walk in. The people are going to be freaked out. We're going to take them. What is that called? God didn't just, he didn't just have faith. He had the leading, remember the right hand and the left hand. He didn't just believe God. He had the leading, the strategy, and the specifics of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. And if you're going to be successful, you can't just have faith. You've got to know what God is telling you, exactly the specifics of the plan for your life. That is probably the most important. Now, do you remember, I won't for sake of time because we really got to close, but you remember, I'll give you the reference. We read it at the beginning. Numbers 27, verse 21. When Moses laid hands on Joshua, yeah. 
And it says in Numbers, it says that he, when he laid hands on him, he laid hands on him that it would be after the judgment of Urim. Most people don't understand what that means. But Urim and Thurim were two stones in the breastplate. And God, because they didn't have the Holy Ghost the way we do, God would lead the, the leader through the way the sun would shine on those stones and it would and it would it acted like a form of divination but in a, not in a negative way so when Saul and and the people and remember somebody ate and and, and Saul said we're going to find out who did this and we're going to kill him they used the Urim and the Thurim and they made the Urim Saul and jo- Saul and his son Jonathan and they made Thurim the people and then every time there was a dividing they would they would assign a new group to those stones and then the sun, with God's light would shine upon one stone. And then they would no take that. So when they put Saul and Joshua on the Urim and the people on the Thurim, the light of God shone, shined on the Urim. So they knew either Saul sinned or, Joshua, or, or, or Jonathan sinned. And Saul knew he hadn't, so that's how they knew. But if it had been on the people, then they would have said, okay, you this tribe and this tribe. And the sun would shine on one. Now we know it's this tribe. Wow. Now we're going to say, this tribe, and then they'd start naming people. And then it would keep dividing until they finally get that person. Wow. Are you with me? Yes. What was God saying to him by the laying on of hands? I'm going to lead you. By the laying on of hands of impartation, I'm going to lead you with the Urim. In other words, what it represents in the New Testament is there's going to be a leading of the Spirit. In your life, Joshua, because without it, you cannot take the land. Then on the other passage in Deuteronomy that I read, remember it says when Moses laid his hands on him, the spirit of wisdom came into him. Do you remember that? People just think that means you're smart. That's not really what fully it means. Do you know also who had the spirit of wisdom? Solomon. Do you know what the Bible says for sake of reference? I'll just quote it. You can read it up later. First Kings 3, 9. The Bible says in 1 Kings 3, 9, that when God said to Solomon, what do you want? He could have picked all these things. You know what he said? Give me an understanding heart that I may lead this great people of yours. For I'm small and I'm young. Blah, blah, blah. And God said, because you didn't ask for money and the heads of your enemies and, and, and women and all this other stuff. I'm going to give you all that. Plus, I'm going to give you the wisdom. But listen, what that understanding heart you look it up in different translations, but you look it up in the Hebrew. Do you know what the word understanding means in the Hebrew? It doesn't just mean you're smart mentally. It means the word to hear or to listen. What he was saying was, give me a hearing heart. What was he saying? Allow me to hear and understand the leading of your spirit. And when, so listen to me now, when, when Solomon, what we call wisdom, was actually the ability to hear God. The word of wisdom, one of the nine gifts of the Spirit, is to know from God something that's going to happen. Wisdom is means to have a hearing heart, to hear God's voice. To what we call in the New Testament, the leading of the Spirit. Solomon had it, 
because God gave it as a special gift to him because he asked and he was a leader. And kings, prophets, and priests had certain measures of that. But in the New Testament, everybody is a king. Everybody is a priest unto God. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 14, and 16, every one of you, if you're born again, have the inward bearing of witness of the Spirit inside you. You don't need to be somebody special. You don't need to be a king like in the Old Testament or a prophet or a priest. You are a believer. You've got the inner leading of the Spirit. What God did for Joshua is he gave him by the laying on of hands wisdom so that he would hear God, that he would know what God wanted him to do. The Urim was a way that God showed him, I'm going to show you what I want you to do. And then when Jesus shows up and gives him the strategy, it represents the Holy Ghost giving us specifics about what God wants us to do. You see in Joshua 6, two amazing things. He had to believe in faith and he had to have a specific spirit-led strategy. And when he had those, he won. If he just attacked that wall and tried to grapple it and tried to send the guys with the swords over it, they would have lost. But God had a way to him to win and he showed it by the leading. It came through the person of Jesus, but it represents the leading of the spirit. If Jesus hadn't have shown up, he would have used the Urim and Thurim. He had the spirit of wisdom upon him. He knew how to hear God. Not the way we do, because God wasn't in him, but God was on him. And he could still understand certain things by the anointing being upon him. We have a better deal than Joshua because the anointing is in us. Joshua never knew what it was like for the Holy Ghost to be in him. Joshua never one time had instruction bubble up like a, wall, like a bubble in a pool out of his spirit into his mind. Never once. No, new, no Old Testament saint ever once knew what that felt like. But a believer, we have, we, have, we have knowledge and wisdom that bubbles up out of our spirit. And our mind goes, I know what to do. That's why we have a better covenant. That's why it's easier for us. And yet some of us have less victory than they did. I'm going to go through one more time. What is the first thing you need to be successful? Do you remember? Impartations from your man of God. It's so important. Number two, you need to love and consume the word. Because without faith, you cannot do what the conquest calls for. Number three, you have to know that God authored your your assignment. Number four, you need to know that God authored you to do your assignment, not somebody else. You're special and you're important to that plan. And you've got to get settled in that and not be so insecure all the time. You've got to know who you are, that God asked you to do it. That's not, that's not narcissism. That's a healthy dose of I'm important. Not in a wrong way, but in a right way. Number five, you've got to, you've got to know your, the message that your man of God is bringing and stay with it. And don't turn to the left or to the right. Number six, you've got to know nothing can stop you. Enemies will fall. You've got to know that. Number seven, you've got to have the anointing. The anointing is not the leading of the spirit the same. They're in the same family, but they're different. The anointing is the supernatural ability to do the job. You need that. Number eight, you need though, not just the word, but the word of faith. You need to understand how faith works. If you don't have that, you can't succeed. And number nine, you need the leading of the Spirit. See, I have the anointing to do something, but that doesn't mean I have the leading of the Spirit. I can have the anointing to preach, but preach the wrong message. I can have the anointing to pray for the sick, but pray for the wrong person. Do you understand? The anointing is to do something, but the leading is the specifics. 
I need the anointing. I need not just the word, but the word of faith specifically, because I've got to understand how faith works. And I've got to have the leading of the spirit, that spirit of wisdom, that knowing on the inside what God is actually specifically strategizing for my future. If I have these nine things, I will succeed. And that's how he laid it through last afternoon. He just said, in about 10 minutes, one, two, three, four, five, da, da, da. He said, tell the people that they'll do what Joshua did. I'll, I'll cause them to be a success. Amen. So that's a little journey. From the beginning of Joshua when he first got anointed until the time of conquest. He put these nine things into practice his whole life. That's why he kept winning. Everywhere he went, he won. Everywhere he went, he won. Praise God. Heavenly Father, I bless your precious people. I've endeavored to tell them what you asked me to tell them. I did not pick the sermon. I did not come up with the sermon. You dropped it in my spirit. You gave me the points and you told me to preach it today. Not next week, not a month from now, today. So I don't know exactly all your reasoning, Father, but obviously the people needed to hear this message today. And I thank you that they will remember these points, that they will have to take the decency to write them out. If you're speaking them, Father, we should write it down. If they did not take notes, I pray that they would watch this again on live stream archive and they would write down these nine things. They would checklist themselves on a regular basis. Am I doing these things? Am I around for impartation? Praise God. Am I in the word the way I should be in the word? Do I know what that you've authored this for me, Father? Do I know my place in it? Am I staying close to my pastor and the message? Do I have the anointing, the supernatural ability? Do I need to wait on that more? Father, do I have the word of faith? Do I believe that the anointing to lead me and guide me is in me? And do I believe that nothing can stop me? They will fall before me. I will win. I'm a covenant man. I cannot fail. Father, if they'll just meditate on these nine things and put them into practice, you will make sure that they succeed and that they prosper in all that they put their hand to.